Well, today we're continuing our series on wisdom. What is biblical wisdom? We're going to be talking about sort of one of those rubber meets the road topics. How do we put this into action in one of the most intensely practical things that we all face? Relationships. We live our lives relating to other people in relationships. In fact, I would say a lot of the stress and trials in our lives are because of relationships. Some of our greatest joys are also because of relationships. But how do we take this huge concept of biblical wisdom and apply it to the everyday struggles of relationships? When Henry Ford built his factory, he he knew not only did he want to have a very efficient way of producing cars, but he knew that efficient way had to have an electrical source that continued. Because if, if the electricity stops, it doesn't matter how efficient the workers are and how efficient the process is, factory shuts down. And so we hired a guy by the name of Charlie Steinmetz to come in and build a generator for his factory. And everything was great, until one day it wasn't. And the generator shut down. And the factory couldn't continue. And so Ford called in all of his technicians and they all opened up the generator and they tried and tried and tried for a long period of time to get the thing to work. But the repairman just could not find the problem. So what does Ford do? Well, you call the guy that made the thing. So he calls up Steinmetz. Steinmetz comes in in just a few short hours of tinkering. He stops, he throws the switch, and the generator turned on and hummed nicely. A little while later, Ford got a bill for $10,000. And he contacted Steinmetz and he said, what in the world? You were only here for a couple of hours. And Steinmetz said, I know, I know. I charged you $10 for the couple hours that I was there and tinkering. He said, I charged you $9,990 for knowing where to tinker. Ford paid the bill. Knowing how to apply wisdom to our situations is so important. We can fill our minds with concepts and ideas and theology, all of which are important. You will hear me emphasize those things all the time. But we also need to be able to put it into practice. Wisdom is thinking and living correctly in relationship with God. Thinking correctly is not enough. Living correctly or with good intentions is not enough. If we don't have both, how do we know if we're really living or thinking correctly? And it has to be done in relationship with God. Listening to Him and His truth. And so we're making a transition in a way in this sermon series from some of the more theoretical things that we've been talking about to intensely practical things. Things like relationships. Things like money. And as we walk through this, you'll see in the Proverbs, if you read it on your own, over and over again, you'll see very practical things, things that we face each and every day. But if we take the things that Proverbs has to say and we rip them away from the God who says them, we're not going to understand them. Now, today what we're going to do is look at six lenses uh, for biblical wisdom. And first, we need to look at what does it mean to see relationships through a lens of biblical wisdom? 
When I first laid out this series and thought about what I wanted to talk about, I, I knew we needed to touch on relationships. It's such a big deal in, in the book of Proverbs. And so I kind of made a list of the different relationships Proverbs talks about. There's there's marriage, there's dating, there's friendships, there's employee, employee, uh, employer. Uh, there's also just friendships in general, friend, uh, relationships with the world. I thought, okay, if we just cover each one and look at what the proverb says about each one, that'll be a good sermon. So I got to the beginning of this week and I started working on that and said, that's not going to work. That's going to, we, we don't have nearly enough time to look at all those relationships and deal with them in a way that if you're here and you're dealing with a difficult employer-employee relationship, I'm not going to be able to give you enough from God's word to apply to that situation. So I took a different tact. And I thought about what the Proverbs are. You see, the, the Proverbs are an application of biblical wisdom. They're taking something that God says, a truth about who God is and how he acts, and applying it to something specific in our lives. Wisdom is a recognition of and trust in God. It starts there, who God is. That's why we talked about in the first sermon, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We need to understand who God is and understand correctly our relationship with him. We looked at the greatness of God's wisdom, that God knows these things. He's like the guy that made the generator, right? And the whole world is the generator, including us. We're all in it. God knows how it all works. Then we looked at God's plan. We looked at kind of two ways in the world. There's God's plan, and then there's everything else. And the Bible calls those the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. And everything else that is not of God is the way of foolishness. We talked about pursuing wisdom. We need to learn who God is, learn his wisdom for our lives. And then last week, we talked about wisdom and priorities. We need to respond to these truths by making what God says is important, Him, His plan, His work, the most important thing in our life. So every practical issue in Scripture, every proverb, every tidbit of how to live and how not to live is an expression of these overarching truths. See, we tend to take proverbs and say, this is the right way to work because it works. Or this is the right way to live because it works. Take any sort of a statement. You shouldn't tell a lie. Why? Well, because bad things might happen. Because when you tell lies, people won't trust you. Uh, They'll think that you're untrustworthy and you'll never have any influence on anybody because you're now untrustworthy. Now, is that true? In general, yes, it's true. And so we look at Proverbs and we say, well, they're, they're true because they work, and they work because they tr- they're true. And our standard of whether or not to accept that truth of that proverb is whether or not it works. And here's what happens. We get into a situation where it doesn't work. And we've already put ourselves in the driver's seat of determining whether or not to accept the proverb. And, and yes, we say, well, it's from God, therefore I'll, I'll accept it. But then we also put ourselves in the judgment seat of whether or not it works. And so how many Christians get to a point in their life where they say, I believe these things, but they don't work right now. And because they're not working, I can no longer believe them. Do you see what happened? We took the things that God says and we ripped them away from the God who said them. We don't follow Proverbs or anything else in Scripture because it will or might work for the moment. We follow them because God is God and we are not. And he says that this works. He knows the generator. He knows the world. And so as we look at relationships, 
We need to take that lens of understanding who God is, His truth about the world, and His work in the world, and we need to use that as a way through which we're going to look at every relationship in our lives. And if we can see that, then I think when we come to Proverbs, and we won't have time to do this today to look at all the Proverbs on relationships, but when we do, which I hope you will as you read through the book, then we'll understand this is why God says this is true. We're going to look specifically at six lenses. Creation, sin, grace, salvation, community, and hope. Six lenses for wisdom relationships. Or six lenses of wisdom for our relationships. Now I think what we're going to find is that one or more of these are going to challenge particular individuals more than some other ones. So listen through them and think about what do we believe on these things and how are we applying it to our relationships. Let's start in the beginning, as God does, the lens of creation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God created all things. Now, again, here's, here's the incredibly amazing way to apply this. Ready? Every person that you're in a relationship with, God made them. I know, it just blows your mind. That's a really deep, amazing application there. God made that person. The people that we have relationships with were not made by us. We are not their God. As much as we want to play the role of God in some people's lives, that's not our place. God made them, not us. Not only that, but God made them for a purpose. Genesis 1, 26-28 talks about being created in God's image. God created them for a purpose, to reflect His glory and to live in a relationship with Him. That person, whoever they are, does not exist on the face of this earth for you or for me. We often have struggles in our relationships, not always, but sometimes, Because we forget that God made those people. And He made them primarily for Himself. And we lose sight of that. Now let's look at one particular proverb. Proverbs 16, verse 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict and gossip separates close friend. That that word there, perverse, can mean troublesome, a troublemaker. It's somebody that just, can you believe what so-and-so is doing? I just can't believe how stupid they're being. And and then you go to somebody else, you say, can you believe that person? I saw them do this, and they shouldn't have done that, and they're gossiping about it. What's the problem here? The problem is, you're judging somebody you didn't make. You're judging somebody that, that doesn't exist primarily for you. You are putting yourself in the place of God by judging that person and trying to stir up others to do the same. The first lens of wisdom in relationships is to constantly remind ourselves in whatever relationship it is, that person has a God. It's not me. Now that's just the beginning. Let's look at the lens of sin. We want to skip over this one often for ourselves. Sometimes we're a little more adamant about it for others. (laughs) Yes, they're a sinner. Whenever I do a wedding... As a part of the wedding, I, I turn to the bride and, and I tell her, I said, look, this, this is a great guy. He's dressed really sharp today. He's a sinner. You're marrying a sinner today. And I tell the groom the same thing. You need to remember, you are marrying a sinner today. 
however wonderful the moment is and however wonderful the dating relationship and the engagement up to that point, we always have to remind ourselves, I'm a sinner in a relationship with a sinner. Now, that can get very depressing very quick, but there's a lot of hope there as well. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not a person in this room that as you interact with other people, you are always the right one and they are always the wrong one. Please don't say amen on behalf of somebody else. Okay? James 4.1 applies this and says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? See, what James is saying is a lot of the tensions we have in relationships, not always, but a lot of the tensions we have, are the bubbling over of our own sinful desires applied to that other person inappropriately, and it causes tensions. Or they're doing that to us. Everyone is infected by and influenced by sin. Now, look through this lens of sin with me. This means that in relationships, we have to recognize our actions will be wrong. You're going to mess up. Our thoughts will be wrong. We're going to think incorrectly about things. Our motivations will be wrong. Even our best of intentions at times are are skewed, they're warped, they're twisted by sins. Can you see where there would be some problems in relationships? Of course there would be. In a relationship, this means that whoever you're in a relationship with has a flaw. Many flaws, probably. Again, don't say amen on behalf of somebody else. We are always in a relationship with flawed people. We have to know that and accept that. But we also have to make sure we don't stop there. Because that one, I think we accept readily. Oh, yeah, man, those people are so messed up. But it also means there are flaws in us. As I relate to my wife and to my kids, I have flaws. I have sin in my own heart that has warped and twisted me. There are also flaws in our ability to see the flaws in ourselves and others. Do you see how deep this goes? So not only do you have flaws and I have flaws, but my ability to see your flaws or my flaws and your ability to see my flaws or your flaws is all messed up. It's flawed. Okay? But then we can go farther. There are flaws in our ability to respond to the flaws in ourselves and others. So you're messed up. I'm messed up. My ability to discern how messed up you are and I am is messed up. My ability to see that and then to respond to it is messed up. It's a wonder we have relationships with anybody at all. But when we ignore sin in the world, we'll wonder why the fairy tale doesn't exist. We'll feel like we've been cheated. Instead of coming and saying, God made us, and look at the mess that sin has made, and it might not even be our fault. The sin that is hurting the relationship at that moment, it might not be your sin. But we need to stop and say, it is sin. We need to be able to weep over that, but also turn to the God that has provided the answer for sin. Now again, let's look at a proverb and how this works. Proverbs 12.26 The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now this is specifically talking about that moment early in a relationship where you're looking at uh, maybe that special someone and saying, is, are they the person God has for the rest of my life? Or you're looking at somebody new and, and you're saying, is this somebody that should be a good friend in my life that I should give influence to in my life? And scripture, Proverbs, and it talks a lot about this, says, be careful. 
Be wise. Young people here today, listen to me. Whoever you date is going to be a sinner. You need to be so close to Christ that you can discern that person's heart and the direction of their life. Because if they are so off course and not following Christ, I guarantee one day you're going to wake up and say, how did we get here? Now is the time to make that choice. Be hard in your dating relationships. Choose wisely. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean we can't be in a relationship with other sinners? Because that makes for a very lonely society, doesn't it? I mean, if I'm a sinner and they're sinners, I guess we can never talk to each other because something bad is going to happen. And this is where we come to the lens of grace. As I thought about that this week, this point in particular really stuck out to me, and we're going to spend a little more time on it. Because as I I thought about struggles that are going on in our, our relationships and in our culture, I'm convinced more and more that we have become a society without grace. We've become completely graceless. We have no concept anymore of grace. We have no need for grace that we can see. In fact, we see grace as a weakness. And I told myself I wouldn't talk about politics this week. But as I look at our political climate right now, this is what stands out to me more than anything else. Neither candidate extends any semblance of grace to each other or anybody else around them. No, not at all. And and you look at how they talk about each other. The media extends zero grace. Supporters on either side extend zero grace to each other, and we all act like this is the way it should be. It's sad. Have you heard of the the term triggered or being triggered? Some of the younger people are shaking their heads. Young people know what I'm talking about. I'm I'm cool like that. Okay, so I probably just triggered some of them. Um, The concept of triggering is it's frankly becoming very popular. And it's this idea that, that sometime in your past you had a strong negative emotional experience and something later triggers that meaning or that response, that memory. Now this is a real thing and it's a real struggle for a lot of people. I, I, I'm not trying to demean it, okay? But here's what's happening. It, it's gone from people that went through extreme trauma that have realistic, legitimate things that they went through, and now they're struggling because something reminds them of it. Think of somebody that went through a horrific accident, and it was a little green car that hit... I don't know if a little green car could cause a horrific accident. It was a big green truck, okay? It was a giant green truck that hit them. And every time they see something green on the road, it brings back memories. Now, that's legitimate, okay? That's realistic. But it's getting to the point of... I was out with some friends and something bad happened. And now 10 years later, you said something and it reminds me of that. How dare you say that to me? You've triggered me. It's being claimed by everyone for everything. And and it's as if people who are triggered claim a right for everyone else in the world to deal with it. You have to deal with the fact that you might trigger me. It's not my fault. I can't help it. I read an article on how to help others with their triggers, and one of the things it said to do was, you should learn what triggers others. 
Okay, now, if in my relationship with my wife, I get this, right? I mean, I love her. I know certain things that, that based on past experiences might set her off and it's going to push her button. I, I get that, okay? But are we really going to walk around with a clipboard in our hand to every stranger on the, the, the street and just be like, okay, hey, are you triggered by this and this? And Can we do that? I thought about the term triggered. I mean, it really comes from, I assume, the concept of a gun. How does a gun work? A trigger is pulled. A firing pin shoots, moves, springs. I don't know what it does, but it moves. And it hits a bullet, and inside the bullet, there's a little explosive thing. There's powder in there, and it explodes, and the projectile shot, right? I'm, I'm not a gun guy. You can tell that right away, okay? So that's my, like, three-year-old understanding of it. So it's a process. And once the trigger is pulled, the series of events takes over, and it happens. Now, this concept of triggering, and again, I'm not here to like educate you on triggering, but I do think it's such a good insight into the soul of our culture right now. Because what it does is it makes every single one of us a bomb walking around, or a gun loaded and ready to go off at every single second. And, And again, as I look at the media as I talk to people on the streets, as I interact with people, people are living this in their day-to-day life. They're just ready to go off. And you touch that trigger, and what happens? <laughs> Damage. And whose fault is it? Is it the bullet's fault? No, oh, no. Is it the explosive powder's fault? No. Firing pin's fault? No. Somebody hit the trigger. If I go off, it's your fault. That's the world that we're living in. That's the huge problem with this. Now, how does God deal with this? Because this concept, I think, will help us, especially in relationships, to understand grace. Look at Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's look at one more. Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Here's the big picture of how God deals with things. See, see, there was a trigger in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. There's a consequence that we actually do deserve. We deserve death. Trigger, response, damage. And yet God said, even while you're a sinner, I'm going to send my son to die for you. See, grace is like a hand that comes between the trigger and the explosion and says this doesn't have to lead to that. It doesn't have to. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve the punishment of death. And yet Christ came between us and God and all of God's wrath was poured out upon His Son and He took our place. That's grace. You might be thinking, wait a minute, I I thought we were talking about relationships. Look at how this works in a relationship. We need to speak with grace. When we speak to other people, we need to put a hand of grace in between the trigger and the explosion. And we need to say, I can be gracious to someone. I can be sensitive to someone. But we also need to listen with grace. 
We're a society walking around always saying it's somebody else's fault. Well, that person just set me off. Can't believe what they said. And it's like, can't you just listen with a little bit of grace? Does that person in general act that way? Well, no. But they said this. Is it possible you misunderstood? No. I was triggered. It's not my fault. Is it possible they were having a bad day? doesn't matter. They triggered me. We need to listen with grace. We need to act with grace. And this is for us and others. You see, we love to expect grace. We love to demand grace from other people. It's a lot harder to extend grace. And I think as a culture, I know because God's word says, this is the wisdom that he has built into the world. If we could infuse our relationships with grace, there's a whole lot of heartache that could be avoided. And if we can remember that that's the way that God has loved us, that's a pretty good starting point. Again, let's look at one proverb. Proverb 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now again, we can look at that and practically says, yep, if I want to get something, you know, what is the old adage? You, you get more flies with honey than with vinegar, right? See, that's a, that's a bad restatement of this. This is not saying if you want to get what you want, you should be gracious. Biblical wisdom says you should be gracious because that's the way God made us and made this world. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Show grace. But a harsh word stirs up anger. All a harsh word does is take the pot of sin and stir it. and makes things worse. We need to look at each other and at others through the lens of grace. Which leads us then to the lens of salvation. You see, the Bible is very clear. Yes, we are messed up. Yes, we make a lot of bad mistakes. But when we come to a relationship, we might think, well, that's all this person will ever be. Or maybe that's all I'll ever be. Nobody can ever change. Nobody can ever develop. The way we are now, that's the way we'll always be. And when we come to the lens of salvation, we have to ask ourselves, are people stuck? Can they change? And the lens of salvation says, absolutely. Ephesians 2.1 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But then it goes on in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by the grace of God you have been saved. Seeing through the lens of salvation means that we believe through the power of Jesus Christ's work in somebody's life, they can change. People can always change. And there's hope there in the lens of salvation. People can change, but there's also a very stern warning. They don't change because of us. The lens of salvation and looking at a relationship is a constant reminder, I'm not their savior. When I look at my children, and the struggles that they're having, I have to stop and say, I am not their Savior. I cannot take that place of God in their life. If you're struggling with somebody else and your heart is breaking, to look at them and say, I can't save them. Only Christ can. 
And it changes things because if we look at other people as us being able to save them, we're going to hammer that and hammer it and hammer it and say, you've got to change, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And you know what usually happens? No change at all. Or change where they rebel against us and they're hurt. But if we can look at that situation and say, Christ can change this person, then our role becomes to point them to Jesus Christ. That's a huge difference. We need to see through the lens of salvation. We need to see other people through the lens of community. God made us for relationships. It is a pattern throughout Scripture that, yes, God deals with individual people right where they are in their their sin and their messiness, and He does amazing things through individual people. But guess what? God never leaves individual people as individual people. He is constantly drawing us together into a community and into a community with a mission. Throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites had a mission. They were to be people living in the presence of God, in the tabernacle, in the temple. They were right there in God's presence. And to show the world that to live in the presence of God is to be changed, to be different. They had a mission. It was fundamental to their, fundamental to their mission to live in relationship with each other. Now we have the church. And so many people today are saying, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I I do Christianity on my own. It doesn't work that way in the New Testament. The fundamental nature of the church is that it's in the messiness of our relationships with each other, informed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God gets the glory. When we separate ourselves from the church, we are missing out on displaying the glory of God to the world. We think it's easier. Because we think we can judge those things. But God has put in His Scripture, you are to live in relationship with one another for a purpose and for a mission. Jesus understood this. In the upper room, He prayed before He went to His death on the cross. He prayed for His disciples. And then He moves from praying for the disciples to praying for each one of us. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in Me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. Seeing relationships through the lens of community helps us to see there's more going on in this relationship than just what's going on in this relationship. There is a God to be glorified. There is an ability, even in the messiness of that moment in our relationship, to point others to Him. Either that person that we're in a relationship with or somebody that might be watching. Sometimes, we're not going to see a great ending for the relationship that we're in. Sometimes that's not the way God chooses to work. But maybe... Just maybe the way we interact in that relationship as that's going on is causing somebody else to look to Christ that we may not even know about. And to call them into a community that represents Christ, that is a relationship that gathers around them. It was such a joy yesterday at Trunk or Treat to be able to invite people to church, to be able to say, look, I'll tell you, when people come to this church, they feel loved. Because that's an overflow of the gospel. And I believe we are a church that believes in the power of the gospel. And I see it in the way we relate to one another. One final one. The lens of hope. We believe 
Jesus Christ is coming back. I praise God for that hope. Because if the world the way it is now is all there is, then that's going to be rough. If the world the way it is now is indicating that it's going to be worse, which it does, well, that's going to be pretty rough too. There's not a lot of hope there. But being a Christian says, this is not the way things are going to be forever. Whatever situation you're in right now, whatever situation the people you're in relationships with right now, whatever they're in, the Bible says that is not the ultimate end of all things. Jesus Christ is coming back. He's the perfect judge, the perfect king, the perfect savior. It is easy to despair in relationships. But we have a God who is in the business of changing hearts, changing lives, and changing this world. And in the relationship to say, I will trust in that hope that only Christ can do, even when I don't see the effects right now. Biblical wisdom is about taking the truth of God, who He is, His plan, His plan for this entire world and for our lives, and applying it to our everyday situations. These truths are huge. They are the truths of creation and sin and salvation and grace and community and hope. But they're not just some out there, biblical, theological truths that were to check a box saying, yep, yep, I understand that, got that, can check off all my doctrine. They come right into the day-to-day affairs of our relationships with other people. Do I believe God created even them? Do I believe that yes, they're a sinner, but I am too? Do I believe that God can give them grace and I can too? Do I believe God can change them just as I pray He's changing me? Do I believe that they can become a part of a community on mission for God to display His glory? And ultimately, do I believe there really is hope? Whatever that might look like. I pray that we would see our relationship, all of our relationships, through the lens of Christ and His work in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as I thought about speaking on relationships, it is abundantly clear to me that I cannot possibly know the struggles that people are having in their relationships right now. And I, can possibly, I can't possibly know which Proverbs particularly to point them to to help them in those situations. But God, I do pray that if nothing else, they would leave this place and open up Your Word Open up the Proverbs and say, teach me, Father, how to live correctly in relationships. And God, my hope is by looking at these lenses, we have understood there's more going on than just that argument. We are more than just people waiting to be triggered. And God, may we display that truth in our relationships that you are God and you are powerful and salvation is at work in our relationships and in ourselves. May we demonstrate that in every relationship of our lives. And I pray for us as a community of faith here at Orchard and and the church surrounding us in Rochester, I pray that with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we would work hard at relationships. Relationships that display the gospel and bring you glory that the world may see and they would be drawn to Christ 
who changes hearts. In whose name we pray. Amen.